You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. So we're continuing our series in the book of Acts, our series title, Being the Church. My topic this morning, graciously disagreeing. And I hope this topic is as relevant to you as it is to me. Life is filled with disagreements. That's a given. The question is, how will we disagree? What will be our disposition? Will it be Christ-like and so forth? Some of you asked, are we going to hear about Ethiopia this morning? The answer is no, except to say this. We have some Ethiopian coffee out in the foyer. So it's good stuff. Uh, But the next two weeks, we're going to be in Acts 16. And I titled that mini-series, Open Doors, Open Hearts. And I thought to wait to share a little bit of what God did uh, in Ethiopia. But now, to begin today, graciously disagree, and I want to do something that I rarely do. I think it's the second time in 37 years of vocational ministry. I want you to pull out your cell phone and not just Bible stuff, use it for interactive study. So the unveiling here, I think I can do this. We got our QR code. So, boot out your cell phone, turn to your, um, the youth should like this. You guys got cell phone? Your parents let you bring your cell phone? Look at the three girls are like, man, I'm loving this. Let's do a selfie. Come on. With with Pastor Keith or what? No? All right. I get it. Um, So, here's what we're supposed to do. See that QR code? Zoom in, and then you're going to go to a seven-question survey. Jeff, you can use my phone. You don't know how these things work? Me neither. So let's, let's learn together. So what will happen is, you see what's happening? Hit that yellow thing, and you should come to a survey, right? Huh? How we doing? Everybody find the survey? Seven questions? Talk to me, peeps. Huh? Brett, you need to circulate and and help folks. 18, we're doing it, huh? Keep going. We built in time for this. How many of you don't want to play? Be honest. I used to be that guy. All right, so here you go, sir. Uh, you, you, get, you get one one choice, right? Oh, wow, 38 responses. Keep going. This is a high-tech church. How many of you chose not to participate? Clint, your daughter just busted you. Okay. Good, good, good. Well, we're getting there. All right. So tell me when to um, move forward. We'll wait till we hit 50, a good round number. Look at Mr. Jim Plaguey. I'm getting a Chick-fil-A survey. <laughs> All right. Well, a little bit of levity here. We're getting there. Shooting to 50. Come on. We'll wait for Jim since he... Go ahead. No, no. You guys in the back participate? Yeah, 
47. Walt, Gene, are like, oh my gosh, teach me the Bible. You know, yeah, Gene's like, yep, that's right. Krug, you still working on it? Help the guy, would you? I mean, there's, I feel it, I feel his pain, the sorrow. All right, ready to go? Let's show it. Let's, let's, let's keep going. So we had seven questions, right? Question number one, Hawkeyes or Cyclones? Woo! 57. Now that's pretty revealing. Who? Well, we won't. You like that, Haley? So now you'll stay awake? All right, let's go to the second one. This is a little easier. Brett, you feeling good about that? All right, we expect some coupons from your former boss. Chick-fil-A, next one. Beach or mountains? Seriously, go mountains. What do you do at the beach? Five minutes, someone kicks sand on you, you feel lousy, a shark bites you, you, you know, I mean, gosh, all right. Dogs or cats, Don't, who's got cats? You got to feel sorry for the cats. Give, give the cat lovers a hug. Raise your hand if you're a cat lover this morning. Give, them a, give a hug, come on, give Krug a hug. Sarah, give, I'm not moving on until somebody gives Sarah a hug. There you go, Michelle. All right, golf or pickleball? Are you serious? What? You see this court? Monday morning, 7 a.m., be here. Keep going. Pork or beef? Wow. I hope there's no one in the pork industry. What's that co company, John Morrell? I think they're the pork. Pork people. Keep going. High V or Fairway? We're the Fairway crew, right? And Adele? Yeah. All right. Wait, wait. Cole, sorry about that. I, I do shop at High V too. All right. And Starbucks or Caribou? Wow, this was closer than I thought. All right, go Caribou. Is that the last one? That was the last one. All right. Well, thanks for participating. Why did I do that? Um, to illustrate one thing, don't fall off the stage, to illustrate one thing that <clears throat> we all have preferences in life, right? But every time you decided for one, you decided against another, you disagreed maybe with your spouse, someone uh, in your family, life group, someone across the aisle. And we're going to talk about disagreeing today, and when we think about disagreements in life, and especially the topic this morning, we're not talking about essential doctrines, okay? Essential doctrines are something we should agree on. We're not talking about morality, okay? We're not talking about Ten Commandments, stealing and um, coveting and lying. Those are absolutely things we shouldn't do, right? What we're going to see in a passage today is that there's two godly men who are doing kingdom work, working hard together, passionate about the same thing, sharply disagreeing and separating. And so how do you do that? How do you graciously disagree? And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. We're going to look at a small uh, passage, 36 through 41. It's very revealing. I love the Bible, and I love how honest and candid the Bible is. It doesn't sweep the mess of our life under the rug. 
It helps us to look in a mirror. We can see ourselves in Paul and Barnabas here. And I trust we will, and I trust we'll learn how to graciously disagree in relationships. Now, one of the marks of maturity in the Christian life is the ability to disagree, and please don't miss this, without becoming disagreeable. Think about that just for a moment. Learning to disagree without becoming disagreeable. You know what that means, right? It shouldn't have to be that hard. We see a sharp disagreement between men of God, but we're also going to see some beautiful things. They didn't live disagreeable. They didn't live apart. They continued kingdom work together, which is quite remarkable. Now, I want to start, and I hope you have your hand out, because this is so important, folks. This relates to your marriage, your family, your friends, you know, where you run, uh, at work, uh, your hobbies, your sports. Wherever you have relationships, there will always be an opportunity to disagree, and I would encourage you graciously disagree. So I want to start out with four things to agree about. We'll start there. And then we'll look at uh, some other truths. Agreement number one. Would you agree that disagreements are inevitable? Think about it. Married couples, have you ever had a disagreement this past week, this morning, on your way to church? So here's one of the big ones for Ellen and I. Ellen grew up with, uh, in a larger family, six siblings. And uh, she had this idea of children, three, four, all the more. And we didn't really talk about that before we got married. I just wanted to marry her. We'll figure all the other stuff out later. Well, I was stuck on two why I don't know. So you know what God did? He took our disagreement. It wasn't a sharp disagreement, but it was a disagreement. And next thing you know, Aaron's nine months, our firstborn daughter, and Ellen's pregnant again. We go in for the sonogram, and guess what we saw on the screen? Twins. I was like, wow, that's cool. Ellen was in shock. You know what I mean? And uh, so what did God do? He solved our disagreement. She was happy. I was happy. Three, done. But that was one of the basic disagreements early on in our marriage. Let me point you back, if I can, to Acts 6. We were there many, many months ago, but there was a big disagreement between the Hellenistic widows and the Hebraic widows over the distribution of food, how they were being cared for. And so the early church had to do what? Take the disagreement, take the conflict, take the tension, raise up seven men for the faith, for the wisdom, for the Holy Spirit, and resolve the disagreement. I want to contend that basically disagreements are inevitable. So don't worry about disagreements coming. They will. The real question, how do we handle them? Secondly, even mature believers will sometimes disagree. And I hope uh, for those of you in leadership, for those of you who have been around the block a little bit longer, this should encourage you. Uh, Years ago, I took a course titled Denominational Theology. And it was quite a revealing course. I'll put the textbook up. It's a great course to have in your library. But do you realize today there's well over 30 Baptist denominations that have come out of our Protestant tradition? Do you realize that? There's a lot of Baptists out there, right? General Baptists, regular Baptists, Southern Baptists, Northern Baptists, American Baptists. There's a lot of Baptists. But when you study, you know what you find? You quickly discover 
that the issues weren't necessarily essential issues. They were secondary issues. That's what we talk about in theology. And yet, they moved on to create different denominations. The real issue isn't the different denomination under the heading Baptists. How did they part? Were they gracious in their disagreement? Uh, recently, we were talking as an elders board because sometimes we process the talk before it's given. And I love getting feedback from our elders. Well, Jason Dean comes from a tradition. It's called non-instrumental Christian church. Have you ever heard of that? And what that simply means is nobody's heard of that. Me and you, Jason. Yes, yes, yes. And so what that means is they don't have instruments on Sunday morning. All they're singing is a cappella. Where do they get that from? Study of the book of Acts. They don't see any uh, worship music. And so they created a function in uh, or a form of worship that is pretty different than ours. Would you agree? How many of you prefer Brett DeRoss over non-instrumental? Brett just raised his hand. All right, Brett. We'll go, huh? <laughs> All right. So that happens all the time. Greg Argenbright, hey Greg, hey Cheryl, glad you're getting better. Um, comes from a brethren tradition. Guess what about the brethren tradition? The old school brethren tradition rarely had paid or vocational staff. In other words, as a vocational pastor, they wouldn't hire a guy like me. And so their tradition was the elders are raised up to do the preaching, the pastoring, the caring and nurturing, and they did it as a team. That was their choice. It's not right or wrong. It was their preference. Now, they've moved a little bit more towards as the church has grown and gotten bigger to staff. But early on, that was their dynamic. Dr. Bob Cook from King's College said this, and I love it. It's just a great reminder as a pastor. God reserves the right to use people who disagree with me. Isn't that great? It creates humility in us, folks. It creates that we're on a journey of learning and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't all have a corner on the truth. We're doing our best to study God's word, right? Live in the lane of what is essential. Understand what's non-essential, but grace and love in all things. So third, agreement number three, every disagreement always has two ingredients. Check it out. It has an issue, and I want to call this the objective side of the issue. It, it's really objective. We have to think through things. But then it also has the various viewpoints. That's the subjective side that comes with personalities, feelings, filters, emotions, worldviews, backgrounds, and so forth. My dear friend, Bob Lowry mentored me for 11 years when I was a youth pastor. And uh, I was as green as could be as a youth pastor, and he just figured it out. And uh, as I got to know Bob, a mature man of God, a senior pastor for many years in Cincinnati, almost 40 actually in the church, um, he shared one of the hardest things that he experienced as pastor, lead pastor of Faith Bible Church in Cincinnati. The elders went on a study, and this was many years ago, they had the King James Version of the Bible as their standard, hey, if you're coming to a Faith Bible Church, you bring your King James Version. The elders did the study. They thought their context and the version in 1973, the New International, would be better for the congregation. They moved forward. Guess what happened? 
35 families left the church. That's hard. Why? Because they had a preference for many different reasons for the King James Version of the Bible. You can't fault them for that. So as they parted, the real question is this. How did they part? Did they part lovingly? Did they part graciously? Did they continue the faith journey with each other, although they went separate ways? That's the real issue at hand. Now, finally, agreement number four. In many disagreements, each side is valid. And this is going to be hard for some of us. You know why? Because some of us wear lenses that are typically black and white. We see things in a more absolute lane. I can honestly say this as a young believer early on, that was my mindset. I saw things more black and white. And then as you grow and you expand and you travel and you see the kingdom from different angles, you know, your, your horizons expand and hopefully your maturity and discernment. And so that leads us to our passage. So let's stand. We're going to read Acts 15, 36 through 41. Keep it in mind, agreement number four, in many disagreements, each side is valid. So, after some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we have preached the message of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul did not think it appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not gone on with them to the work. There was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And look what happens. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. We've been to Cyprus before, first missionary journey. First stop, actually. Then Paul chose Silas, departed after being commended to the grace of our Lord by the brothers. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches that he planted on the first missionary journey. Please be seated. I want to highlight for a moment the phrase in your Bible. I'm not sure how it's translated. Mine says sharp disagreement. But the Greek word there is very strong. They argued. These men of God uh, really duked it out in their thinking process of what was the best plan for kingdom mission. We are now launching the second missionary journey. We're going back to strengthen the churches planted on the first missionary journey, pretty much in Asia Minor, Cyprus, and so forth. But also the gospel will expand, as we'll see in Acts 16, to Europe, to a place called Macedonia. But this sharp disagreement ended pretty difficult. Two co-workers in the gospel colleagues on the first missionary journey, seen incredible work of God, miracles, the gospel advancing, persecution, Paul and Lystra stoned to the point of death, coming back to life and kingdom work began. Barnabas and Paul had a lot of background, but here they came to an impasse. Their sharp disagreement separated them and the two men went different ways. And so, We have an example, we have a case study to learn how to graciously disagree, and I can think of no better case study scenario in scripture than these two men. And that leads us to our blessing. And so I believe this, each one of us can learn to graciously disagree. 
by applying four essential truths from the case scenario of Barnabas and Paul. And again, I believe these principles are cross-cultural. They are transferable to every environment in which there are people. You can transfer this into relationships everywhere. So let's see what we can learn and hopefully uh, grow together to be gracious disagreeers. So truth number one, realize God values a variety of thinking in his church. Aren't you glad for that? Could you imagine if it was just kind of mono, everybody thought alike, we lined up just like robots? You know what's cool about the concept of plurality of elders? Five, six, seven plus men meeting weekly for an hour and a half, prayerful, processing God's heart, his work, his word to move his church forward. We are better together. God values diversity. Just look around. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. You think about core teams, our men's ministry, our women's ministry, our youth ministry. We have core teams. Why? Because we need diversity. We need people to bring different things to the table to help the kingdom of God come in our midst. One of the things that we're going to talk about at our luncheon today is the Vision Proper team. And we will introduce the 12 individuals. But what a joy uh, we have had as leadership starting last summer to assemble 12 individuals from children's ministry, youth ministry, men's, women's. Uh, people who are brand new to the church, people who've been here for a long time. Six men, six women, meeting, literally, guys, we met for 14 hours in three retreat settings to move the vision of Westwind Church forward. The beauty of it, the diversity. There are certain memories that I'll always have from some of those meetings. Connor, I'm looking right at you, and one just came to mind. Uh, we were probably in the 11th hour on the weekend, and um, you were tired. So I'm looking at Connor. He was not there. I'm like picking on Connor. He's zoned out, ready to go home. But it was two long days, right? Probably one of my favorites was Caitlin Lundin. So we just about pulled the trigger, finished the race, right? And, uh, but we didn't get to, to the end. And Caitlin says, I, I'm not finished. We, we got to finish this thing. So with Caitlin's uh, persevering spirit, you saw it a few weeks ago when she gave announcements, um, we met one more night for two hours and we put our vision proper together. So we've been enacting that. If you see these beautiful pictures on the walls, both places down the uh, corridor for the staff and then out in the foyer, you'll know where we're moving in the future. But it came from the vision proper team. But it came out of a beautiful picture of diversity, an eclectic team, men, women, young and old, uh, from every ministries in our church. That's how God works, and it's such a gift. If you struggle with that concept of variety and diversity, think about the team Jesus built. Have you ever thought through who he chose, the 12 in Mark 3, to be with him? He chose someone who was just radically hated, Matthew who? The tax collector who ultimately wrote one of the Gospels for the Jews. Hated on the team. He chose individuals who were zealots. You know who zealots were? They were the military might. They were always starting trouble with Rome. They were on his team. 
He chose brothers. Peter, James, John. He chose businessmen, fishermen, who had a little bit of acumen with wealth and business and boats and servants and so forth. He chose a diverse team, religious orthodox people, mixing it up with individuals like Judas and Matthew. Why? God values diversity. And if you read Luke, I think the way Luke wants you to, you'll see that the kingdom of God is coming all across the world. God values diversity. And so a passage that Paul uh, encourages us with is a picture of the body of Christ. And he uses the body, the physical body, as a metaphor, right? Ears, eyes, nose, feet, arms, legs, that everybody needs those unique parts to function well. So look at what 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 20 says. But now God has placed each one of the parts in the body. Notice this next phrase, I love it. Just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts, yet one body. Aren't you glad for the diversity today? And how we sharpen each other, how we come together with different shapes. We heard a little bit about that. Shape stands for spiritual gifts, hearts, ability, personality, experiences. God gives you a shape and wants to use it for his kingdom and glory. One mini story from Ethiopia. Um, we had a lot of ministry, two cities, a place called uh, Hawassa and then Sheshamani. Uh, we worked with mentors, about 10 pastors, who then worked with about 50 pastors in the different cities. And so we had a team originally with 11 adult men like me going, some vocational, some just mature uh, teachers from the church. When it was all said and done, four wound up going, four of the 11. And it changed everything on this trip. And I watched my team leader, his name is Gil, uh, long-standing missionary in Japan, been with ministries like TLI for about a decade. I watched him adjust day by day. We're sitting in the Chicago airport. He gets a call from one of our team members right here in Iowa, just down the road, Fort Dodge. Scott's his name. Pastor, coming. He just got a positive test. Can't come. Everything changed. But you know what was cool about Gil? God shaped him in such a way it didn't rock his boat. It didn't mess him up. He just recalibrated. We prayed. We thought through how we're going to do it. And we moved on. If Gil wasn't the kind of team leader that uh, God wired him, it could have been a different scenario. Someone who loses two-thirds of their team for three weeks of ministry in Ethiopia, Opia could have imploded, not Gil. Stayed the course. So thankful. Secondly, graciously move forward even if you don't get your own way. Now, folks, this might seem simple, but in my experience, 42 years as a Christian, I see this point violated the most. Because what happens a lot of times when we don't get our way, we take our ball and we run. And I think that breaks the heart of God. It certainly disrupts ministry and fellowship. And it truly is not what the kingdom of God is all about. Jesus had a beautiful prayer in John 17. Father, may they be one as you and I are one so the world will send us. No, they sent the son. This whole unity thing. Yes, we can disagree, but we got to do it graciously. Why walk away from each other? Why put a period on the relationship over? We are called to be peacemakers, to be people who reconcile, 
It worked towards fellowship. So let me show you something that's really cool. Paul authored much of the New Testament, as we're familiar. So he pioneers at least three, probably four missionary journeys. He writes a ton of letters to churches. He writes a letter to the church at Corinth that got planted about six years after this sharp disagreement. Let me show you what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 6 about Barnabas. You know what he does? He graciously highlights Barnabas as a servant of the Lord. In other words, they're still in team. They're still in relationship. They're still in fellowship. Barnabas was part of the apostolic cohort, just like Paul, even though they went their separate ways six years previous. Let me show you what he says about John Mark. In the book of Philemon, chapter 1, verse 24, Paul calls Mark a co-worker in the gospel. In other words, he didn't diss Mark. He didn't walk away from Mark. He didn't forget about Mark. Mark was still in the game. Why? Because Paul understood what it meant to graciously disagree and stay in fellowship. Let me show you one more verse from Colossians. I love this. When Paul wrote to the Colossian church, he says this, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Notice this next phrase, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. And look at the parentheses, concerning whom you have received instructions. In other words, Mark is leading, he's teaching, he's being used by God, and Paul's highlighting him in the book of Colossians. Friends, there is much to learn about that, to be reconciled to be restored, to continue, continue kingdom ministry as God has designed. Third, truth number three, never assassinate when a sharp disagreement occurs. And again, because I have a different seat than most of us here this morning as a pastor, I've seen some assassination over the years, guys. And I promise you this, when it happens, everybody loses. Nobody wins. And I can tell you this too, down the road, there's regrets. Gosh, I wish it wasn't so hard. Man, I wish I, wish I just wasn't so crass. I was so definitive. I was so black and white. We don't have to be like that. We can be gracious in our disagreements. We don't have to assassinate the party. And so in Ephesians 4.29, we get great counsel. Look at what Paul writes. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Can I just give you three application points from that beautiful verse? Number one, choose your words wisely. When you disagree, disagree graciously, use your words wisely. Why? James chapter 3 is very instructive. It talks about wisdom from above that is first peaceable. How can I speak in a way that will bring the tension down, keep the relationship going, and be a peacemaker? That's what James says. Wisdom from above is first peacemaking, peaceable. Choose your words wisely. Second, secondly, choose words that build bridges. And the phrase build bridges is so important here. I, I really believe with all my heart, when Paul and Barnabas had this sharp disagreement and they parted, there was still enough bridge in the relationship to see the relationship continue for the future. I love that. And then finally, choose words that provide grace. Notice Paul does use the word grace. We've talked about this over the past weeks. 
The Greek word for grace is charis. It simply means gift. Use words that gift another that you're in tension with. Do you know what Proverbs says? The tongue has the power of life and death. Do you realize that? Ellen said this to me many years ago and it got my attention. We were newly married, trying to figure some things out. Ben, there's hope. We made it, 32 years. Ben, uh, going that route in a month, right? You pretty excited? Just a little segue here. Yeah. You look excited, sitting down front. But here's the thing, here's what she said to me early on in our marriage. Keith, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Woo, that was sobering. It was. She was loving enough to allow me to look into the mirror and see something I couldn't see. It's not what you say, Keith. It's how you say it. Your words can bring life. It can bless and not curse. And it can move the relationship forward as God intends. So don't assassinate. Truth number four. Every now and then, the best solution is to separate. Now, guys, please hear me on this. I believe with all my heart, knowing what I know now after 42 years in Christ, knowing what I know about the the Bible, this is the exception. It is the rare exception. This shouldn't be the norm. We shouldn't be just kind of, I'm done. Man, just fed up. It's got to be a better place. You know what? The grass is greener elsewhere, but I promise you this, it has to be mowed. We always think there's a better day or a better place or a better relationship. Really? (laughs) I got a few years under my belt. The grass is greener, but it still has to be mowed. So do your best to work through the hard stuff. If you've done your best and there's still an impasse, as Paul and Barnabas, you know, trust God, you separate, but you separate graciously. Let me introduce to you a book and a gentleman that I really appreciate. I've sat under his tutelage for some time. Dr. Henley Cloud, quite a man. And he wrote a book called um, Necessary Endings. And this this is far-reaching, folks. This has just very little to do with the church per se. This is ending relationships that you know, could be destructive or at work. It's time to move on from a job and the list goes on and on. Um, If you need help and encouragement, if you're wondering, this is a great resource and I strongly encourage you to check it out. Now in closing, I wonder if you would agree with me. Paul and Barnabas remind us that separation can be as much a calling from God as staying together. And why do I say that? I say that to say this. They continued on in ministry. They continued on in relationship. They continue on in honoring each other and blessing each other. They, they blessed each other's names. They affirmed each other. And kingdom work continued. I think they did it right, even in their sharp disagreement. Now, one of my all-time favorite verses, I want to close with this. 2 Timothy 4.11. Paul's writing from a prison cell. He knows his end is near. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. 
He says, now is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, a righteous judge, will give to me, but not to me only, but to everyone who loves his appearing. His time's up. He's being poured out like a drink offering. And here's what he says. And I think he's broken, sitting in a prison cell in Rome. He says this, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. His final words, he's alone in prison. He says, bring a coat, it's cold, bring the parchments. I just wanna nurture myself on the word of God. Luke's here, so glad Luke is with me. Bring Timothy, or bring John Mark. The guy who created the disagreements, who created the sharp disagreement where two apostles went different ways, the end of Paul's ministry, who was he asking for? John. John Mark. Now, folks, I hope you know this, that we have four Gospels. We mentioned one, a tax collector wrote one, Matthew. You know who wrote the first Gospel? Scholars believe it was John Mark. The guy who defected. The guy who Paul says, can't do it. We got to go on and march forward. We can't trust him. Barnabas said, hey, let's, let's give this guy a second chance. Let's keep investing in those who fail and fall short. There's hope for people like that. And here we have Paul at the end of his ministry career. Bring John Mark. He's useful for the ministry. Yes, he was useful because he wrote the first gospel and God used John greatly. So can I encourage you? When you feel like a failure, fail forward. Fail forward. You will feel like a failure. Life's hard. Ministry's difficult. Sometimes we screw up royally, like John did, John Mark did, and yet he failed forward. Let's close in prayer as our worship team comes to lead us. Father, oh, great truths. Thank you for being honest, giving us uh, just a, a picture of this beautiful mess, ministry, relationships. They're hard, Lord. And yet, oh, to graciously lean in. So thank you for these truths. And Father, I pray, even now, if there are relationships that exist in this congregation this morning that are broken, that are, that are struggling, that, that might need forgiveness, that are just existing in bitterness, whatever the issue is, I pray your spirit would work and help us move towards each other and not away from each other. We want to be peacemakers, Lord. We want to reconcile with others so we can be reconciled with you. So help us in these beautiful truths, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.